case I start. Well, but today's exam day when we get to the end. So we're going to cover one topic, and I'll cover the, why this is humorous in a minute. Uh, so one topic, self-discipline. Then we're going we're to give you the opportunity to sort of think through the whole book with somebody else. Okay, so God's sense of humor. Uh, I was supposed to teach last week the lesson that Mike taught, but I ended up because of uh, uh, a death of a friend, a uh, friend's family, in a friend's family. I ended up skipping that and taking this week, which was God's sense of humor. Because last week, I would have been this would have been over, and I wouldn't have had to teach on self-discipline, which is probably my worst topic. So um, the other thing about self-discipline, as you know, you've read through the scriptures. You know that when uh, the authors of scripture talk about self-discipline, they use analogies, almost all drawn from sports. I would say probably if we took, if there are 45 men, 50 men, 60 men in this room, I would be number 61 in terms of athletics. But you'll see that God said, all I'm going to give you are drawn from the field. You know, I'm going to lean on this thing and it's going to fall over. Um, however, the more serious part of it is that self-discipline is an issue that God takes seriously and he requires of me that I do it as well. So mostly when I talk through this topic with you, I'm going to be talking to me. But you may find some stuff that's useful to you as well. And at the end, we're going to go through sort of that review that I talked about of the whole book. Can I get the first slide? Okay, so Titus 1, 7 and 8. For a bishop, as God's steward, must be blameless, must not be arrogant or quick-tempered, drunkard, violent, greedy for gain, but hospitable, lover of goodness, master of himself, upright, holy, and self-control. The word that's used there. It's actually the only time that this particular form of the word is used in the whole of the Bible. It means, as you would expect, sort of strong or robust or controlling, curbing inclinations. It's, uh, I, would, I characterized it as deliberately taking myself in a direction contrary to my natural inclinations. Not something any of us does, well, most of us do not do easily. Uh, but that's what God requires of us in this issue of self-control. And then athletic analogies. Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So, which I never did, by the way. I have never run a, won a race in my life. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable wreath. So here's a word drawn from that first one, particularly at lower weights. Man, you guys in lightweight crew, you had incredible, and probably still do, had incredible self-discipline to be able to sit down at training tables and watch everyone else eat while you couldn't. So boxers are probably at lower weights again are probably the same way. But it, it's this idea of exhibiting self, self-government to act to prepare for games, in your case, by abstaining from unwholesome or even wholesome foods, wine, or sexual indulgence. Is food bad? No. Is wine bad? No. Is sexual indulgence bad in the right context? No. 
but we deliberately choose to withhold those from ourselves in order to achieve a greater goal. Next slide, please. Okay, in also in that passage in 1 Corinthians, so that was 1 Corinthians 9, the second half of that passage, well, do I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I pummel my body and subdue it, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. For me, the real revelation out of this verse was how seriously God means this. For one thing, when Paul talks about boxing, remember that in <coughs> Greco-Roman games, boxing wasn't done with uh, soft gloves. It was done with pieces of lead and iron taped around your hands. And as Gene Getz points out in his books, losing carried a little bit more weight because sometimes they would gouge out the loser's eyes. I'm not sure why, but they did. It's pretty gross, but but it's it's a life and death, almost literally, conflict. Similarly, this word hupopazo, hupopiazo, um, it really describes right here, okay, the part under the eyes, and it really has generated. It's that idea of getting a black eye. That's how seriously Paul was writing. I pommel my body and subdue it. It's like beating myself black and blue, not in terms of self-abuse, but just in terms of setting high standards and keeping them in terms of how he disciplined himself to live the Christian life. And which is really amazing when you think about Paul. Think about that litany he goes through talking about the things that have happened to him. You know, shipwrecked two or three times, uh, beaten with 39 lashes, I don't know how many times, stoned, left for dead. You'd figure he had enough external discipline. He wouldn't have to worry about this stuff. But nonetheless, this is how he regards it, how he treats himself. And then lastly, in Hebrews 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, athletic analogy again, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So that word weight, <coughs> I always hated this verse because it had that word weight in it. It's not sin because you see he talks about weight and sin separately. It's something else. Sort of as we talked about in that issue of self-discipline, it's things which aren't bad in themselves necessarily, but which impede or misdirect me as I seek to follow Christ, as I seek to keep my eyes on the goal. So think about being in a Nats game and running the president's race. You know, those guys with those big heads. Boy, that's quite a weight to carry. And it's hard to run in a straight line. I don't know how they do it. But that's the idea here. <coughs> it's a weight, a mass, as in sort of, you know, think of a wagon or your car, actually, if you load too much stuff in it, and your wheels are splayed out because suspension is groaning under the weight. Uh, a protuberance, that which not being sin in itself impedes or limits performance. It can be things that are distorted or out of balance, even good things. <coughs> Hobbies, work, exercise food, drink, et cetera. You know, I've struggled with weight since I was a 
a little boy and continue to, well, maybe not struggle with it. I continue to live with it. Um, but those things are the things that keep us from being all that Christ wants us to be, from getting, getting to the goal without impediment. The second thing, looking to Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. We need to keep our eyes on Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. How many of us would willingly say to someone else at work, here, or wherever, imitate me? Well, Paul did. He actually did it several times. This is just one of them. But remember, Paul was saying, imitate me insofar as I imitate Christ. Who are your mentors? Who are your role models? I can almost guarantee that as you, as you get to know that role model better, you will probably see him falter. You will see him fall short. You will see him be human. And if you're that role model, you can guarantee that you have that capacity in yourself. It's like I used to think about, you know, criminals or, or people who did really horrible things, that I have within me, within my flesh, the capability to be the same. And only by the grace of God do I escape it. But we, because we have Christ within us and Christ is our example, we can look beyond the weaknesses of our role models and keep our eyes on Christ. So we're supposed to be signposts. We're not the billboard at the end. We're the signpost pointing the way to Christ. And we need to make sure that people who follow our example, particularly our children, recognize that they're not trying to be like me, they're trying to be like him. So that they keep their eyes on the goal, Christ, and on the map, the scriptures. So those are the two infallible things that will never lead them astray. So as we, inter as we relate to one another, we need to bear that in mind, both as we look to other men and as other men look to us. Okay, next slide. <clears throat> At the end of his life, Paul wrote 2 Timothy. I fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. And that is a, that's what each of us needs to be looking to as our epitaph. And it's doable. It's possible. Each of us can approach the end of our lives being able to say that. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That word on uh, fought, it can be either battle or games, but it's that idea of struggling with difficulties and danger uh, in battle or to contend in games, to strain every nerve, everything I have, toward that goal. That was how Paul lived his life, and that was how God encourages us to live our lives, straining every nerve. There was a Super Bowl, and you, you sports guys, football experts can tell me which one it was. Um, <coughs> it was between two, two teams who were not normally there. I think Tennessee was one of them. <coughs> Excuse me. And at the, toward the end of the game, the team that was behind 
there was a running back who was running toward the goal line. He got tackled just short, and you could see him as he, as he fell to the ground, reaching out with his hand, trying to put the ball across the goal line. It wouldn't make any difference, but nonetheless, he was straining every nerve he had to try to get that ball across the goal line. And that's the idea. That's the way I need to be in the Christian life. I need to not coast across. I need to give everything I have to get as far as I can in the life of Christ, toward the life of Christ. And then the, the word that's used for race is sort of, it's not a, you've heard the expression, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon, that it is a full 26 point, whatever, two miles to get to the end of it and beyond. But that's all of life, to be able to get to the end and cross that goal line and be welcomed by Christ with the words, as, you know, for example, Billy Graham, I'm sure was recently, um, well done, good and faithful servant. It's like uh, Dr. Bailey talked about last week. So focus on the goal, work hard, just put one foot in front of the other. Sometimes life is just putting one foot in front of the other and not giving up. All in the power of Christ. Okay, so that's self-discipline. Now we come to the part, and I've talked to all the other teachers, and we've decided that we've done enough work. Now it's time for you to do the work. So that's what we're going to do now. Do I have another slide? Yeah, there we go. So see your handouts. It's a summary of all 20 lessons. Okay, you should have two copies of it. The goal is that you will evaluate yourself in each of the areas, just real quickly, one to seven, and then ask somebody else at your table, hand him the other one, ask him to evaluate you as well. Now, when he gives you back that copy, feel free to take it home and hand it to your wife. And ask her to evaluate too. Yeah, let me know how that goes for you. Okay, so I deliberately made a short lesson so we'll have the chance to do this. So, uh, over to you. If you don't have, if you have the wrong number of people, just share among three, however it works for you. Okay, thank you very much.